Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to Priority Roll. Today we are talking all about Age of Sigmar 3.0 and we are joined by Jim Vessel to talk all about what Age of Sigmar 3 might learn from 40k 9th edition. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you. I'm excited to be on because this is, I think, my first Age of Sigmar podcast I've ever been on. I've been on many 40k ones, but only one Age of Sigmar one. Exclusively, anyways. So I suppose in the world of 40k, uh, you're a relatively well-known name, but given that this is an Age of Sigmar podcast, uh, perhaps you could introduce yourself and uh, explain a little bit about your background. My name is Jim. Hi, everyone. Uh, I am from Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, so I'm a good Canadian kid, hopefully. Um, I've been playing 40k since, well, I've been playing 40k technically since third edition but I, I, I missed 4th edition, 5th edition, 6th edition, 7th edition. Uh, I was uh, previously a Warhammer Fantasy player, so I, I know I'm already getting booze from some of the Age of Sigmar listeners at this point. <laughs> I'm Warhammer Fantasy, I'm sure. But uh, Warhammer Fantasy was always my, my one true love, and I uh, I stopped playing that uh, right around the time Age of Sigmar came out, just because I was a huge fan of the, the launch of Age of Sigmar, um, and then kind of got into 40k 8th edition uh, right around the launch of that, and I've just been playing at a very high level competitively, um last full season which was the 2019 season i finished number two in the itc which is the uh, international tournament circuit and number one in the hobby track um so i'm a very passionate hobbyist as well not just a you know win at all cost uh, neckbeard gamer um painting and hobbying and sportsmanship are something that i really care about and i i actually care about more than my playing but i also like to play at a very high level so i i've been kind of playing uh both um so i've been playing mostly tts these days but because uh, Canada, we're still in a bit of a lockdown, but uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit of Age of Sigmar because I think this is probably the edition that's going to get me finally playing Age of Sigmar. Um, I know it's something where I kind of I have like a every few months I have a bit of a like you know I, I look over the over over to that side and I'm like hmm um, and I never feels like there's a good time to start, but now with 40k kind of being in a bit of a slow period. I figured, why not start painting another army? So, yeah, that's kind of my background, I guess. Um, I don't think I'm anything special, but I guess some people think I have important things to say. So, <laughs> I think, to be honest, one of the best 40k players of the world will be ideally placed uh, to talk about uh, how Age of Sigma might learn from uh, the system that you clearly know uh, a lot about. Yeah, I, I, I will correct you. I'd say I'm pretty good for North American standards. Having played a few rounds with, so I'm a part of the WTC team for Team Canada. Um, having played a few rounds uh, in the recent Greek camera event on TTS against the Polish, the Germans, and some of the other teams, uh, the caliber of play out in Europe is outstanding. And so I would imagine that um, in North America, I do pretty good. Uh, I'm probably, it's just like North American soccer players who are probably good in North America, and then they come over to like the Premier League and they probably just get rolled. So it's, it's probably like a similar. Uh, or, or, or even if you guys have, I don't know what's going on with your sock over there, by the way. It sounds like the whole thing is blowing up. So I definitely say I'm good. Uh, you know, I, I just try, try to be humble about it. Uh, you know, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty good as far as North America and, and in the ITC in that format. Obviously, ninth edition hasn't been, uh, haven't had a ton of practice in ninth edition. So definitely feeling a little bit less um, confident. With that said, I do have a thousand opinions of hot takes. So I'm happy to throw in my thoughts on 
all things Age of Sigmar. So this whole podcast is going to be based on the assumption that Age of Sigmar 3 is coming this summer. Right. I should point out this isn't based off any inside knowledge or anything like that. It's basically an assessment based off uh, what we've seen so far. So we're currently going through a Psychic Awakening-esque campaign series, which is often what Games Workshop do uh, towards the end of an edition. Uh, you saw it in the transition between 8th edition, 40k, and 9th edition. Uh, and we also saw a rather thin on the ground uh, FAQ uh, this spring so you have to ask yourself uh, what was all that studio doing during that time now clearly given the rate of uh, rules updates that we've seen from the kind of the, the new games workshop the style of, uh, of approach to the community uh, this isn't something they would have done normally so what were those uh, studio personnel doing uh, we can assume perhaps that they're working on age of sigma 3 and not necessarily investing all the time in fixing uh, an edition which is due to change yeah i uh i like i mean when you look at the kind of the way that the gw does their edition release schedules like we're due um now obviously with the pandemic i could see uh some obviously modifications to release schedule just like we've seen with 40k but i do think that a, a public company like games workshop is through hell or high water going to release these kinds of big edition changes uh, if it means like uh, it's the last thing they do, like, you know, what we saw with ninth edition, because uh, I was also during the pandemic is like they kind of just th that will, that train doesn't stop. Now, all the kind of surrounding documents, army books and other releases might stop. But I think that the core update is probably kind of a bit of a runaway train. And I actually heard a rumor and I don't know how true this is. So I'm just going to stir the pot a little bit. But I heard a rumor that the reason that the Curse City and I don't know if you've talked about that to your audience at all, the whole Curse City fiasco, but I heard a reason that there was so few of those is because they uh, they basically ran out of time to make those box sets and they had to basically turn their their big hamster wheel powered uh, mold machines to Age of Sigmar 3.0 kits. So that was the reason that they basically essentially just ran out of time to produce more box sets because Age of Sigmar 3 uh, kind of uh, trumped, trumped the production timeline in space. Um, and so they just were able to produce as many as they had. And then after that, they were like, we have to get Age of Sigmar 3 out. So all of the resources just kind of turned to that. I don't know if you've heard that as well um, or if I'm just stirring, making up stuff, but that was a rumor that I heard from a, a local LGS, uh, someone that's fairly close to these, these things. I have heard so many different variations of uh, rumors, all from all sorts of different sources, from all sorts of levels of credibility. Uh, you know, was this intentional scarcity? I genuinely don't think so. The world's in an incredibly interesting place logistically at the moment. Um, I'm I'm inclined to to guess that this was just a logistical muck up, but who knows? Who knows? Um, as you say, there's uh, there's a huge amount that you could uh, say about Curse City, uh, and, and indeed about how kind of you know are are people getting frustrated with uh, sort of the the number of limited release things out there and about. Uh, but yeah, definitely an interesting time, uh, especially on social media. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I mean, I think you know, and I'm sure we could have a whole podcast on this Curse City uh, kerfuffle, I guess. Uh, and I know a lot of people have talked about it. Uh, one thing I will say, and, you know, obviously, I I think unanimously it's agreed that whether, like, okay, it did happen, but the communication afterwards has been pretty, like, not great. One thing I will say, though, and this isn't really in defense of Games Workshop, this is just more of, like, a factual thing. Um, with publicly traded companies, um, and I know this is actually something that happened with CD Projekt Red, which is the company that releases uh, The Witcher games and Cyberpunk 2077, uh, there's a lot of... Um, the, the way that they actually communicate certain pieces of information has to be done very, it's very regulated because of the fact that it's publicly traded. 
And so when you have something like a community team, uh, they might not know, they might have, uh, there's certain information that is actually kept quite closely guarded amongst a very small amount of people within those companies because they do have stock and regulatory impacts. So if if Games Workshop, uh, say for instance, um, say I'm the CEO of Games Workshop and I knew that we're gonna uh, run out of cursed cities and I told you know the the mailroom clerk and then he went and sold all his Games Workshop stock, right? Because he thinks that that's going to cause a, a stock drop. That actually, that's actually like gets into the trouble with regulators. So there is with publicly traded companies. Is all, I'm not, again, I'm not defending Games Workshop. I think I'm talking about just up to the point where they thought that there would be unlimited box sets. There is fairly strict um, rules around these kinds of uh, profit, I guess, affecting information. And if there was like, say, all of a sudden a situation where they weren't able to sell any more copies or there's this copyright issue or whatever issue stopped them being able to have it as a main main item forever. If someone told the wrong person, so if I'm uh, ahead of time before it was like publicly announced, uh, it could actually cause a lot of trouble, get people in a lot of trouble because it's such an insider trading. Um, knowing something about, you know, a company's practices or uh, business decisions before they're public. And so all I'm saying is that it's, there's more complexity to it. With that said, now that we do know that it's not coming back, they sure did a pretty rotten job of apologizing and and trying to like uh, you know at least make people like feel better. I I don't think their apology slash response has been great. I don't think there has been one, has there? No, there hasn't. That's the, the lack the lack of one it contributes to how bad it is. I don't think it's a production issue. It's just a PR issue at this point, right? Like it's not about did they are they going to make more or not? It's just PR. And to the to the last point, I'm, I, I guess I'll make it. I'm sure you want to move on and talk actually just more. But <laughs> with Indominus, you know that was that was 40k is their one of their core core systems. And I would and I I again I'm just speculating here, but you know maybe they looked at like the reaction over Indominus seemed quite intense, a lot of hatred over that, and then they went and did this made to order thing. Uh, I go into some shops near my area, and there's still Indominus on the shelf. So maybe they learned that there's this vocal minority of people that seem to make it sound like it's the end of the world, but and then they went and they did this Indominus reprint, but then it turns out that actually like the actual demand for that box once it was re-released is quite low, and so. Um, people are, it's kind of not worth it for them at this point to go and do a similar thing for a curse city, given that it's not even a core system. So that's just my thoughts. So so I just want to thank everyone for tuning into our curse city TED talk. <laughs> uh, we are now going to go back to our scheduled program, which is going to be talking all about Age of Sigmar and what it might learn from 40k. And now for listeners who aren't necessarily kind of read into the game, uh, the transition from 7th edition to 8th edition, uh, and bearing in mind we're now on 9th, uh, the transition from seventh to eighth was really the kind of AOSification of the game, if if that's a if that's a verb we can use. You know, using things like mortal wounds, fixed ballistic skills, uh, things like that. Now they, they still do have uh, a strength and toughness, so it wasn't a complete copy, uh, but lots of different mechanics that were established uh, in Age of Sigma were copied across wholesale into 40k. Now, the, the important point to note, however, is that these two flagship games are still unique. Uh, 40k isn't just AOS with bolt guns, and AOS isn't just 40k with Stormcast. Right. Well, I think, I th- yeah, I think, it, you know, even 9th edition and 8th edition, at their core, they are still the same game experience that, like, even 7th edition or 6th edition was, which is the core style of game is similar. And what they've done is they've adopted some of the kind of, I'd say, quality of life and or 
uh, more unique, cool things from AOS. And I think one of the benefits of having AOS is that because it was a brand new system uh, from the ground up, they were able to really experiment with a lot of things that they maybe wouldn't have dared to experiment with with 40K. So I actually think it benefits 40K to have an AOS out there because it's a very young system. They're able to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, like bold with some of their design choices. And when they work or they seem to work, they can kind of come, we can kind of pick and choose the best of it for, for 40K. So I think it's great that there's this kind of parody, but also there's a difference. There's a lot of subtleties in the game systems. And just I'm just talking about the core rules. Like when you get into the actual armies and the unit data sheets and like such an actual like gameplay, like how even if you could you could take uh, like, yeah, like even the actual how the game actually plays is quite different. But when it comes to actually the core rules, there is quite a bit of difference in the in, in the small areas that make a huge difference. They have a bit of a snowball effect on the on the broader game. Um, and I'm sure we can get into that a little bit as well. One of the, th the things that changed for for ninth edition was unit coherency um, and mm -hmm. i think we've seen changes to age of sigmar over the kind of past couple of editions to try and stop things like daisy chaining you've seen things like where if you you know you lose a model and you're not in coherency you could essentially lose half a unit um right so and those kind of rules are i think are designed to stop daisy chaining um but 40k has taken that a step further by these kind of new quite stringent unit coherency check uh, tests do you think that's a, a something that you might you might see in age of sigmar well I, I always assume that um, I, I do remember that I believe the stricter unit coherency rules were originally in Age of Sigmar 2, and then those kind of got imported to 40k 9th. Because in 8th edition, the coherency rules were quite loose uh, and you could be quite abusive, and they've obviously tightened up quite a bit in 9th edition. Um, so I don't know, like, what what more, because you mentioned Battleshock sniping or Battleshock sniping is a thing. Uh, can you just explain that to me? Because that's something, I assume I know that that is, and that's when you use um, unit stuff. Is that when units, like, failed Battleshock or you can remove certain models to actually cause that kind of chain reaction of half a unit dying? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, usually the, much like in 40k, usually the, the player who uh, controls the unit decides which model to remove. And if you have something like a, a Star Drake's Bite where you can pick a specific model, I guess it's like uh, potentially like some of the old kind of um, ex Exodus rifle from the, uh, the Sniper Assassin where you can maybe pick the unit uh, pick the model in a unit that can die. Now, if you've got something strung along and you can pick someone in the middle rather than at the end, then you can force an issue where there's a, at the end of the, the battle shock phase, which is when the coherency kind of test is, right. I, I think, um, which is why I call it battle shock sniping. Um, because the, the, the whole point is that usually you, you, you players can mess themselves over by doing poor battle shock removals. Right. So someone might lose a couple of models to battle shock and they'll take a model out and then their unit's out of coherency. And then you yeah. can say, oh, hey, you've actually lost that whole half unit. Yeah, so so I guess 40K does have that, but it, it's actually a lot stricter than AOS. So they kind of took what was happening in AOS and they made it even stricter. So now, for those of you that aren't aware, in, in 40K, if you have five or less models, you have to stay within two inches of one other model in the unit. And if you're five or more, or six, six plus models, you have to stay within two inches of... Oh, sorry, you have to stay within two inches of two other models of the unit. So units that are between six to whatever, uh, each model has to be, I believe, within coherency of two other models, which means what that's caused is for the most part, it's prevent, it's it's killed a lot of the uh, daisy chaining, but 
or if you daisy chain, you have to create like a little hook on the end so that like your last three models are kind of almost like a little a little nub where there's three of them in a triangle and that keeps the end three within two inches of two, two other models. And then all the ones on the line are always within two inches of two other models. Now, you know, I actually think that um, I could see maybe AOS being a little stricter on it, but I actually feel like AOS has some mechanics in it that already prevent a lot of that. So one of them would be that there's a there's a much higher prevalence of holy within. Um, oh yeah, holy within, holy within in AOS than than 40k. Like that's something that I I find actually does tend to lead to people to kind of bunch up uh, their their units a lot more than 40k. 40k almost almost universally there's very little holy within uh, whereas whereas AOS seems to me that a lot of the rules especially looking at like the um the new uh, lumineth rules a lot of their uh, and and the, some of the slash rules as well a lot of their their buffs and uh, you know it's 12 inches holy within which it's a larger bubble than 40k which is generally 6 inches but it, 6 inches is just units within it's not holy within yeah and and I think the kind of unit coherency check stage of the morale phase in 40k essentially is the split units check at the end of the battleshock phase which is why i called it battleshock sniping so um whether we whether we see a increase in holy within in 40k or whether we see a change to the coherency rules in age of sigma i think we potentially see both and i think that that then increases the the obviously the the kind of unit coherency check or split units checks increases the value of things like star drake bites where you can you know snipe a model out but if the coherency rules are more strict then are you going to have as many iterations or, or the, the frequency of things being strung out may be lower therefore do those models suddenly become less valuable it's, it's a really interesting one so yeah i think one of the things that makes aos interesting is that and Correct me if I'm wrong. This is just, this is, again, I don't play AOS, so everything that I say is mostly based on, I, I follow the game and I keep keep my pulse on it, but I, I'm not playing it at a high level. But I would, I would, I, when I look at like most units that are doing things like stringing out, the majority of them are generally fairly large unit sizes. So in, in 40K, there's a lot of like five man units, five, five model units, whereas I, I feel like AOS is mostly like 10 to 20 to even 30. You get in these lot, lot bigger blocks uh, and as a result of that, there's a little bit more, I guess, abuse in that in that department uh, because of the fact that the units are so are able to do that. It's very rare these days because of the way that, like, say, the blast rule in 40k works to see 20 to 30 man units. You used to see it a lot in eighth edition. It's almost entirely disappeared. These these big units outside of, like, say, orcs or maybe a few a few specific units within a few specific factions. Almost everyone is playing like MSU style, uh, so it's multiple small units versus these kind of large blocks. And so the whole kind of concept of daisy chaining is j just generally just almost disappeared entirely from 40k. But I, I kind of feel like in Age of Sigmar, because you're often buying blocks of like 20s or 10s or 30s, you're you're maybe seeing that a bit more. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. And I think you would see, a, I guess, a similar reduction in large unit sizes if suddenly there was an increase in you know, the kind of spells where you roll a dice for every model in the unit and on a six you do a model wound. You know, if suddenly everyone had access to a, to a low cost, a low cost cost version of that, then I think you'd see a, a similar reduction in in uh, in the kind of the hordes. Um, equally, one thing that Age of Sigmar has that 40k doesn't is a kind of horde discount on large models. Mm -hmm. you know, if if you take a unit of you know ten, if if, a, if an orc boy is 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 X points, then ten of them cost ten X, and twenty of them cost twenty X, and thirty of them cost thirty X. It's it's there is no kind of large unit discount, um, which is something which I think plays 
well into the thing into the hands of things like Nighthorn for chain rasps or you know grots things like that in age of sigma where actually large units are not only thematic but also do well because it's it's discounted um but it isn't just the kind of the the chaff that has that you you have sort of discounts on on kind of elite models as well yeah absolutely and um you know i, I love that about age of sigmar because coming from uh kind of a fantasy background big big units of infantry is for me the coolest part about the game right like that for me is visually that's what i want to see you know i want to see big blocks of infantry or big you know and obviously they're not in, in square based blocks anymore but seeing those big units those big formations is something that i enjoy and that is a lot more i guess um thematic when you think about kind of fantasy and old battles obviously you if you're in a squad in the 41st millennium, you're not going to have 30 guys in your squad, right? <laughs> but like in, in the military, for, if you're a Navy SEAL, you don't have 40 Navy SEALs in one big unit. You have, you know, small little, small little units. Whereas in like, you know, in like ancient times, you would have, you know, 50 spearmen altogether, right? So it's a lot more thematic than those big units. And I think it's something that I enjoy. I think Age of Sigmar would lose a lot of its coolness if everyone's running around with like five man, um, you know, spearman units and two-man cavalry units. I just, it, it would feel so much weird. It, it just wouldn't look as cool, I don't think. No, I, I think you're right. Um, so you heard it here first, team. Uh, listeners, Jim says that all you MSU players are ruining Age of Sigmar. So, <laughs> so get your horde discount out and get those infantry on the board Yeah, in, in decent sizes. So one of the things we also saw uh, was a, I guess, a change of approach to rules writing and formatting we mm -hmm. saw a really kind of detailed i, I don't want to say rules lawyery version but essentially the 40k rulebook for ninth edition had a really long really particular version of the rule and then some bullet points afterwards right so uh, the the intent behind that was essentially you know here are your bullet points so you can kind of get the the gist of the rule but here is a kind of this is the rule in as much detail as possible so that we don't then get asked questions about it yeah i mean i remember when age of sigmar came out and one of the big selling points is that there's only four pages of rules uh and you know i don't necessarily agree with the idea that small short rules are good um one thing that i think we can both agree on is that universally over the years games workshops rule writing has been not great and not not necessarily in the in the concept of the rules, but I guess I mean in the actual editing, the the wording, the 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 way that they're trying to communicate how something works. Sometimes there it's very clunky and not quite clear exactly what they want something to do. And so one of the benefits of having these kinds of dual formats, where you have a, a rule really explained and and written out in with sometimes examples, is that will really give you what the intent of the rule is. But then they can shorten it into a much shorter kind of bullet point where you can just get the, you know, that's going to cover 98% of your interactions is that kind of bullet point. And then if there's weird things where you're really curious if it's supposed to work the way it is, the, that you think it is, you can kind of read the longer rule. And through that, it'll kind of, because of the way that it explains it, it really communicates the intent. And I think that's something that is, I think, I think what you're seeing is Games Workshop learning that they need to be better at how they write rules and clearer on how they write rules. Because I always have this... You know, the rules is written in rules versus intent uh, argument is the age old argument. And no one ever knows what's in GW's mind. And oftentimes it seems like sometimes they side with the intent when they write FAQs and sometimes they side with the written. So there's no way where you can say, well, universally, we should always play rules as intended because oftentimes they'll 
write a rule and you'll read it and you'll think, oh, this must mean this. But then the FAQ will actually confirm that it is actually rules as written. Or the opposite will happen where you'll follow something rules as written and then they'll write an FAQ that's like, oh, actually, even though this is how it's written, they actually didn't intend that. So they've FAQ'd it. So there's no way to ever know GW's mind. And so I do appreciate that they're able to kind of give us basically the best of both worlds where you get a short rules written and then you get a longer thing that maybe can give you a little bit of insight as to the intention of the rule. So I only think that's a good thing. And I don't, you know, and, and also it allows them to still have four pages of rules because you can just put all the bullet points in there, but then you can have this kind of more um, bigger book where you have a little bit more explanation and, and, and examples. And I think that's really helpful, especially when you get into those kind of corner cases. Definitely. And I, th- I think the, the kind of detractors, if you wanted to make a fuss about it, you know, I, I saw people taking pictures of the community page that had sort of uh, revealed a r- rule and they were like, look at how messy and terrible, like I couldn't read this. I don't understand it. It's just too many words. Like how rubbish 40k is and gw is like oh if that's if that's a that's hard for you to understand just just read it again it's it's not it's it's still written in english but also like b that's what the bullet points are for read the bullet points and you'll get everything and then read the long rule and and take your time and actually kind of read it properly and slowly and like actually you don't necessarily have to get it exactly right first time as in like you know if you read a really complex rule and you have to then reread it again to kind of really firm it up in your mind then that's fine. That's not that's not an issue because the rule that's been written so you can get it straight away while when reading it once quickly. That's what the bullet points are for. Yeah, absolutely. But hey, if you know people with with drums want to bang them, so it'll be this rule's too succinct and doesn't provide enough detail versus oh this this rule is too detailed and goes off waffling like oh we hate everything. Uh, I'm sure there's those those people in 40k as well. Usually in the in the in the Facebook comments, right? Yeah, I mean, I think both communities have their share of uh, picky people. So, talking of picky people, there was a huge fuss made about the next point that we're going to discuss, um, and this was minimum board sizes. Now, mm-hmm. Age of Sigma clearly still played on a six by four, and forty yep. k came in some crazy. Uh, Mikey from Hailstorm Gaming was a big fan of the, the small board gang. He uh, he coined the the hashtag small board gang and and kind of rose up in rebellion and, and cut up all his six by four mats into this new size. And the new size for two thousand points is forty four inches by sixty inches. Yeah, and essentially they have a it's a scaled game surface based on right. the number of essentially warcry boards or kill team boards. Yeah. If you're playing at five hundred points, you just use one or two, whatever it is. And if you're playing at you know two thousand points, you use you know four glued together or whatever and i think that's something that we might see in age of sigma 3 a thousand percent you'll see it there's no doubt in my mind like that if, if there's one prediction i had to make about how aos 3.0 is going to change it would be that that would be like like mark that down like uh take that to yeah, the bank let's yeah. let's put put some money on that <laughs> yeah so i mean how do you how do you have two flagship game systems with two different board sizes it just it just yeah. doesn't make sense but like how do you run events at warhammer world well so here's the thing i don't know about warhammer world um i think like there when this happened with 40k there was this was like of all the rules changes this was probably the most like cause of the most fuss literally it's been six months maybe seven months since 40k has been out no one even talks about this it's like it within six weeks this was not an issue everyone adopted it we moved on uh there's no one plays uh six by four anymore it's just like totally a non-thing there's now lots of kits that you can get to modify your 
existing mats that put like little bars around them. People are still playing on six by four tables often, with, and now you have extra space to put your models, which no one complains about. Oh, it's glorious. You can stick a beer in the corner. You can put your Absolutely. dead pile. It's perfect. This is big because I think the idea that you can take two Warcry boards and put them together. Now, I, I don't play uh, I don't play Kill Team, which is the two. It's two Kill Team boards, so I don't play Kill Team. So. Uh, I just actually bought my first mat uh, that I've ever owned, like literally last month, and it's 44, 44 by sixty. Um, I've never actually used it yet, but uh, I guess I guess my point is is like it's gonna have an impact on the game. I think it makes the game a little bit quicker, um, a little bit like more um, fast now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Age of Sigmar is a six turn game currently. Uh, five, five turns. Five. Okay, so yeah, so that was actually okay. So then, then I was gonna say, I was gonna say they're, they're probably also gonna go to five turns if it's not already because 40k is now five turns, and that was also another big kind of, um, I guess, controversy. But yeah, I, I honestly, guys, like, I, I think it, it ends up not being as big of a deal as it, it, you think. Um, you know, you get an extra foot. And then you only lose four inches on the on the on the the width, but you get an extra foot on the edge, and it just I think it just keeps the games a little tighter. TOs need slightly less terrain, which is nice. You can fit more tables into venues, like and it. And as long as the game adop- adapts to it, as long as the rules follow and adapt for that new board size, it shouldn't really have a huge impact on the game. Um, now I know I know you mentioned, or I'm sure you'll talk about the fact that AOS is a little bit of a quicker game. I know looking at the Luminous rules, apparently they're, uh, they're they can teleport all all over the board and do all sorts of crazy like shenanigans with movement. So I could see them having um, some advantages, uh, but overall, like I think it's a fairly minor change, and uh, the armies will adapt and the meta adapts kind of fairly quickly to kind of account for that. So. It doesn't. The game feels the same as it always has for me. It just feels like, um, especially because of the fact that there's like more terrain on the boards, uh, and first turn is slightly less important with the way that they've adjusted the scenarios. Uh, and I'm not sure what it's like in AOS. And obviously, the priority roll is a big, big sticking point. I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts if that's going to ever change. I kind of feel like it's now too ingrained uh, in, the, in the game, but um yeah so that's kind of my thoughts on it i don't think i don't think people will really mind it or notice a big difference i mean i personally would be incredibly frustrated if the priority role uh disappears from the mechanics of age of sigma well, what would you what would you call your podcast i know i know outrageous although someone did suggest that rolling to see who goes first could be described as the priority role yeah definitely um, and that's cool but currently you don't roll to see who goes first in age of sigma you it's whoever out drops your opponent right and, do you like that mechanic i mean this is a really interesting one i think it could be he or she who outdrops the your uh, first gets plus one to a roll off. Right. Remind me, how does it work in ninth these days? I've not played a game in ninth. <laughs> So they actually they actually changed it from the release to now. So in the first one of the first FAQs, or I think around the Christmas. So originally uh, it was just a straight roll off, so no plus ones. Now, oh sorry, it, sorry, sorry. Before whoever won the roll off got to choose. Now whoever wins the roll off just goes first. They don't get a choice. So that was a big change. So before you could actually choose whether you wanted to go first or second. And so people would often build a count, uh, count that into their both deployment and army building, which is like, well, I'm going to deploy as if I'm going second. And then that way, even if I go first, even if I win the roll, right, I'm going to give my opponent first and then I'll go still go second. Now, because it's you kind of don't have a choice and there's no more seize mechanic, 
And for those of you who don't know, in previous editions, once the player was determined who would go first, the other player could essentially seize for initiative. They would roll a d6, and on a 6, they could go first. So they essentially take back the first turn, which is a mechanic I absolutely hated. I'm so happy that I, I never, it's never, it's not around. Um, but I think I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest, because I, I hate choices that take away agency from players and that shrink the gap between good players and bad players. And one of the things that, um, and, and okay, sorry, let me not use good players and bad players. There's nothing, it's nothing bad about them. I guess it's players that like that play at a higher level versus maybe players that are not quite as, as good, good at the game. The fact, the choice of whether you should go first or second, how to deploy in both scenarios is for me part of the strategy of the game. So when you take that away, it takes away another part of the strategy, right? Um, it would be like removing deployment and everyone had to deploy the same way, right? Like it's just, I always want more choices and I want more ways to differentiate my knowledge of the game and my ability to play the game versus someone that doesn't have that. I think that's where that that choice to go first or second um, is important. And that choice is inextricably linked to list design as well. You could design a list around, you know, outdropping your opponent and knowing that you can make them go second uh, first so that you, you know, you might get a chance to go into the double turn into turn one into two um, or knowing that you're out drop so you always go first so you can get the alpha in you know that 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 choice having that choice and knowing that you're near as damn it guaranteed to have that choice because you've got a one drop or you know decent chances because you've got a two or three drop. right like that's part part and parcel of knowing the game and knowing the army and knowing the meta isn't it well that's for for age of sigmar absolutely and i guess my my suspicion is and this is total speculation so so hear me out this whole episode's just... total speculation <laughs> It seems to me that with these design decisions, Games Workshop, so like if you think about Age of Sigmar, that what you just described there, that there's the meta as far as what are the units that I should take? What are the units that I like? How should I build my army? But then there's this whole other meta surrounded around drops, around first turn, second turn, around deployment, around uh, who should go first and who should go second. It seems to me that Games Workshop doesn't want players worrying as much about that kind of like that meta as it is about the like in in book meta, if that makes sense. So like they want players to build armies and that they want to build and that the way that those armies play on the table is how people win or lose games. What they don't want people to do, and if you think about what you just described, that whole line of, um, I guess, thought, it's not intuitive, right? It's not like in the rule book or in when someone's starting the game. What you just described, that whole strategy around building lists with low drops in order to game the system around who goes first and who goes second, that is not an explicit thing that's really spelled out anywhere, right? That is something that you have to kind of... Now, obviously, if you're playing competitively, you're probably going to learn that through that. Like, you're going to learn that idea from other people. But if you just picked up the game, that is not an intuitive thing, aspect of the game that you'd probably think about. You'd probably think, well, I'm just going to build my army the way that I want to build my army, and then we're just going to play the game, and then the game itself is what's going to determine who wins. But there's this there's this kind of like sub sub level of the meta, which is what you're describing. And it almost seems to me Games Workshop is trying to remove a lot of those kinds of like game choices that aren't in the game, if that makes sense, that aren't to do with the actual game, that are these high level, very kind of like unintuitive choices that have everything to do with very obscure like that. that what you just described, it's a combination of not understanding the priority role rule, understanding how many 
how detachments and, and battalions or whatever they're called in uh, AOS work. And then understanding the, like how to deploy and, and, and abuse first or second turn. Once you understand all three of those concepts, then you can combine them to kind of give you some additional, uh, I guess, insight on how to play the game. But none of that is spelled out for you in the game. And I think with 40k, what we're seeing is they want players to build army lists to play the missions. They don't want players to be playing this like sub game of, you know, uh, drops. Because they, and they haven't person. designed it, have they? If they wanted they didn't that in their that. game, they would have, it would be in their game. Or, it's just, or it it's would just Aside, aside, yeah, sorry, it would be clearly it is in their game because we're we're all playing it, but um, it's it would be more explicit. It would be designed into the game. It, yeah, and it just I guess it just seems to me, and I could be wrong here, that Games Workshop is trying to remove those kinds of things because th that is for me a lot of. Like outside of like building the right list and a good list is hard enough as it is. Also building a, a, a list and understanding that whole separate metagame of like deployment and drops and this and that and the other thing. For new players, that's something that is a very advanced level like understanding of the game. And and maybe what Games Workshop is trying to do is remove that barrier and, and that 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 like, I guess cliff i guess of because of, of, there's a gap there there's like a skill gap the people that understand that concept of drops and deployment and priority rule and how that all works together in conjunction because again it's not part of the core rules it's it's literally multiple different things kind of put together the skill level between players that understand that and don't is probably quite big right uh either if you get it it gives you a really good advantage a high advantage and if you don't then it doesn't. And I think games workshop seems to me that they're trying to remove those kinds of things and make it more about the game on the table rather than the game that you play before you show up. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's just the sense I get with the way that some of their rules writing and kind of the, the, that they're kind of changing some of those those kinds of things, uh, especially when they're not explicitly spilled out. Now, if they had a whole section in the rule book talking about how to build lists in order to abuse that mechanic, hey, cool, but they don't, right? So the only way you ever learn that is through someone else uh, or through someone telling you, right? So, yeah, that's just my thoughts on it, I guess. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's a, the fair assessment. So it'd be really interesting to see how it works out this summer. Uh, fingers crossed if, if, if it does come out. So, um, Jim, bravery and or morale. Mm -hmm. This is a fairly significant change um, in ninth edition, the introduction of combat attrition tests. Yep. So, uh, you know, eighth, eighth edition morale tests were essentially the same as Age of Sigma bravery checks. Do you want to kind of talk the listeners through what combat attrition tests are? Like morale tests for 40k or yeah, combat attrition? Sure. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and maybe you could talk me through how bravery checks work in Age of Sigmar, because it's been a while since I've, I've brushed up on my Age of Sigmar rules. Um, but essentially the way it works is um, at the end of the uh, so in the morale phase, which is the very last phase of every turn, uh, if you've lost any models in your unit, you take a morale chest, a morale chest, a morale test. And a morale test, you basically roll a d6 and you add the number of models that you've lost and you subtract it from your leadership. So in this case, uh, let's say I have a unit of five space marines with a leadership of um, nine with a sergeant and I've lost three models so i have now two space marines um now because their leadership is nine if i roll a six on my morale um sorry that's actually a bad example let's say there's 10 space marines because because you got because space marines are pretty rich, <laughs> you're but, not gonna fail this but, yeah, yeah it's you know, not you so space marines either because they've got and they now show no 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 yeah, fear. okay okay, let's, okay so i have a unit of 10 chaos cultists okay so chaos cultists are leadership uh leadership seven with their champion and i lose five cultists out of 10. so now i roll a d6 on a one or two, if I if I lost five cultists, because my one or two added to my number of models I lost is seven or less, which is my leadership, I don't lose any additional models. If, however, I roll a three or higher, uh, that means I failed my leadership test. So if the number of models that you've lost 
plus the d6 roll is higher than your leadership number, then you've essentially failed your morale test. What that does is it kicks in two things. A, one additional model is removed, right? And B, for every remaining model, you roll an additional dice, and on a one, another model is removed. So this means that if I had those five cultists, I lost five models, I rolled a three, it doesn't matter if I roll a three or six. Once you fail, you fail. There's no like, there's no, um, uh, there's no like, it's not like how much did you fail by? You either pass the test or you fail the test. So assuming I roll a three or higher on that D6, because a three plus the five is an eight, that means I failed my morale. I then remove one more model. So now I have four cultists remaining. And then for each cultist, I would roll a dice and on a one, they would flee. Now, if the unit is below half strength, in which case they are, they actually flee on a one or a two. So there's two different mechanics. There's the morale mechanic, which is that first dice roll. And then there's combat attrition, which is the second dice roll. And there's rules to both modify morale and modify combat attrition. So there's certain rules that means that uh, you're co you add one to your combat attrition rolls, which means, say, normally you weren't below half strength and you'd only fail on ones. Maybe there's a rule that means you actually you add one to that roll. So now you fail on ones or twos. Or the vice versa, there are certain models like Death Guard that ignore combat attrition, so they only ever flee additional models on a one. So this is the way the mechanic works. And the main, to, sum, to summarize the change, the big difference is, what it means is that in the past, in 8th edition, you would actually lose models by the amount of points you failed that initial leadership test for. So going back to my cultist unit, if I rolled, if I had five cultists, uh, 10 cultists and I lost five, and I rolled a six, Right, because their leadership seven, five plus uh, leadership, sorry, five uh, five models lost plus my six is eleven minus their leadership of seven means I lose four more models no matter what. Four more just die. Now I lose one model, but there's a chance that there's only a, a one in six chance I lose more models. Obviously, depending on each model. So what it does is it means that leadership is a little bit more. The curve is a little bit smoother, which means if you have a really bad turn where you lose say half your unit, it doesn't automatically guarantee your whole unit gets loses leadership. But what it also means is that if you just if you lose by a smaller amount, so if I just fail that test by one, I could potentially lose more. So in the past, if I failed my leadership test by one point, I would only lose one model. Now, if I lose, if I failed my leadership test by one point, I roll for every model in the unit. And if I roll another one, I lose an additional. So if I say I had a 30 man unit and I failed my leadership test by one, I roll 29 dice and on any additional one, I lose a model. So for, for certain units, it actually can mean they lose more. And for certain units, it means they lose less. So it's a little bit more of a smoother curve. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the way it works. I hope I explained that well enough for everyone yeah absolutely and and what you described as you know what existed in in previous 40k is exactly what it's like currently in age of sigma you right. add add casualties to d6 roll and the difference between that and its bravery is the number of models you lose so exactly right. the same as eighth edition 40k now i an interesting point in the Battleshock phase is that you add the number of models from the unit that have been slain to the dice roll, but you also add one to the unit's bravery characteristic for every 10 models that are taken, uh, that are in the unit when the test is taken. Right. So you, you get actually, you get a, a horde bonus or you know, sort of strength, yeah. in, strength in numbers type thing. There are different kind of ways of editing that. So, you know, I, I think Skaven, you add two to your bravery for every 10, for example. Right. Uh, one point I, sh I should note here in the morale tests for 40k is that a an unmodified roll of a one is always a success no yeah. models flee so That's you right. could lose you know if you have a, a unit of 30 and you know 20 of them die and you've only got 10 left if you roll a one you're still passing regardless of the fact that you know 20 plus one is 21 and that's over that your leadership you know which, so, I, which I do like because it reminds me of the old uh, snake eyes uh, leadership tests in, in warhammer fantasy where 
uh, if you rolled snake eyes, you'd always uh, free leadership test. You never, you wouldn't flee. So I, I, I like that mechanic. Yeah. Although I think it's a lot easier to roll one one than it is to roll snake eyes. So it's, it's it is too often. Yeah. I yeah. can see why you're a good 40k player with maths like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, my math is impeccable. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this would be a really interesting mechanic. You know, combat attrition in Age of Sigma. I think this would be really interesting because it, it means your units aren't. Uh, what I guess I call it going pop. Units going pop. You know right. how how if you especially low braver units. If you've got a unit that's got really really rubbish bravery and you kill enough of them, it doesn't matter what you roll. The unit's right. going right. Right. And I call that you know your your unit going pop. But I think that that that's really cool because you're definitely going to fail your morale test, yeah, your bravery check. But you could be lucky and, and not roll any ones. Yeah, I agree. I think I think what I like about it is it definitely um it definitely like. Like you, so it's weird in Age of Sigmar because you have rules that encourage you to take hordes, but then mechanics that discourage you to take hordes, right? Like you have one rule on the bravery side that's telling you take more models and we'll give you a discount for that. But then we're going to make the morale, the bravery uh, test so unforgiving that if you fail, your whole unit just disappears. So it kind of feels like it's like two things fighting against each other. Uh, and the thing I like about it is that it, yeah, just it just means that like if you want to kill a unit, you can't just put the minimum amount you need to cause it to quote unquote pop. You now have to actually fully kill the unit or hope that they roll like, you know what I mean? You have to actually commit the resources to kill it and not just rely on the fact that you can make it pop. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. And and I don't, so units popping isn't necessarily, it's not like a, you know, it's happening left, right and Chelsea. It's, um you know, if you have like a large number of low bravery things, so things like Skaven or, you know, Grotz, um, things like that, that that's where you'd get, you know, you'd, you'd be able to kill, you know, 20 out of the 30 of them and then your 10 would definitely go. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I, I think it's, especially when you have like, you know, 30 or 40 units, it's, it's really interesting. And, and you could have things like, you know, death armies where they they ignore combat attrition much like death guard do um mm -hmm. and also i think it's better for things like stormcast and elite units you know or minotaurs you know bulgors as they're now known so if you have something with like a low bravery and but but high wounds because much like uh previously uh well much like 40k now if if you when you lose a model it doesn't you don't just you don't lose a wound you you take a whole model away so right. if you have a unit of stormcast and you kill a couple of them, like that's that's you know you could you roll a six, like you could lose two more. That's 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 quite horrible. Whereas if you fail your um your bravery check, then one's going to go for sure. But what the chance you're only going to lose another one on on uh, on a roll of a d six? Yeah, definitely. And it's it. I think in general it helps hordes. Um, and I don't want to say it hurts elites, but it can cause you to lose even when you have very high uh, leadership models. Um, it can cause you to lose more than maybe you normally would. So like in your situation, if your 10 Stormcasts fail that test by one, in the past, they would only lose one, which is not a big deal, like not the end of the world. Um, they're quite expensive. So, and they're paying for that high bravery. But now if you fail by that one, you could potentially lose three or four more. So there's a lot more potential for you to lose more models as well. Um, so it's kind of, um, but also it means that small units are basically immune to morale um, in a lot of ways as well. I mean, yeah, and I, than, I think it, it yeah. encourages an MSU style for elite units. 
So you're not. So if there was a, and I think to to be fair, uh, my my maths on that uh, previously was bad because Stalkast got Braver seven. So um, I think the example I've gave the, the maths was slightly wrong. But uh, this is why I'm rubbish at Warhammer. Um, so if you had a situation where you know in a, in a matter of sort of twelve, no, not even twelve months ago, a lot further than that, you know, two years ago, where you had big units of thirty liberators, imagine a unit of like thirty <laughs> intercessors or, or terminators or something. Like you could lose a huge amount of them to combat attrition but you're probably not going to lose uh that many to to bravery you know the, the risk is higher for large units of elites yeah absolutely so it's, it's hard to say i mean um there's a, a thousand different i think it's a better mechanic overall uh, it, it removes that kind of either or ness to it and it's a little bit smoother so i just think it's i think it's a better mechanic um and i can imagine that aos does get it yeah no i think i think that would be cool to see so uh another thing uh, i want to talk about is stratagems and command points and mm -hmm. how how we i don't think personally age sigmar is kind of going to change wholesale how it approaches command points and stratagems um so in 40k stratagems are i guess the equivalent of command abilities but rather yeah. than being on the on the war scroll they they are in the back of, of the codex so essentially in in 40k you have a a, a a small library of command abilities that you can draw on at any point um you also have command points that are fixed you have a fixed number of command points that is based on the game size you're playing so remind me how many do you get at a, at a 2000 point army you normally start uh it's a it's a little flexible you start with 12 base and obviously in 40k we have detachments and then Assuming you take one of the kind of core detachments, so a patrol or battalion, and your warlord is in them, uh, or your general, uh, you you keep, keep that 12. And you can have up to three different detachments, and then the different detachments, the more uh, d different ones have different penalties. So like, for instance, a vanguard detachment costs two CP or command points to take. So if you had, say, a battalion and a vanguard, you'd start with 10 command points. So you start with 12, and that's for a 2,000-point game, and that scales up or down depending on the size of the game. Now, in Age of Sigma, you get one command point every turn, and mm -hmm. you can buy up to one command point with, with 50 points uh, in your in sort of the, the list design stage. Um, and if you have, for every War Scroll Battalion, you get an additional command point, and right. then you have various different uh, ways of getting additional ones through, through ability and generals and command uh, sort of warlord traits and things like that right but what i think would be really interesting and this would be a kind of fundamental shift in in how command abilities work you could have a fixed library of command abilities or special abilities that you might use and this could it doesn't necessarily even be, need to be command ability you could even point cost some of the abilities on some war scrolls which you know which would be quite quite interesting and they then become stratagem type things and then you have a fixed points cost uh, you get fixed command points based on the game size so everyone's going to get 12 and in order to then unlock war scroll battalions you have to pay for them with cp i reckon this is fairly low probability i don't think this is going to happen but hey what a cool mechanic that could be like buying uh your war scroll battalions with your command points yeah i think um i would imagine and this is just my my sense of it a change like that, because it's so fundamental to the core game, um, would probably require kind of like a new set of books to kind of align with it. Um, I know with, for instance, like, you know, you guys haven't had a, a reset edition yet. Like almost every battle tome is valid in the current editions, even the old, I don't know if the oldest battle tome is at this point. Um, uh, Kin of Nurgle, I want to say. Oh, poor, my poor Nurgle. Um, so <laughs> like, for instance, in, 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 
in 40k, you can kind of break 40k into three kind of eras. There's this first and second edition, there's third to seventh edition, and then there's obviously eighth and ninth edition, just era three. And in each of those eras, they had to kind of do full resets uh, where the codexes were all completely invalidated all at once because the mechanics changed so readily and heavily. So I don't think you'll see a 40k style stratagem system until you guys have your next era of AOS, which probably won't be till AOS 4. Uh, and the reason I say that is because the fact that they're releasing books uh, like the Illumineth so close to this edition means that their intention and Psychic Awakening is that their intention is that these books will be valid in the new edition, which means they can only go so far as far as like changes. Yeah, no, um, I think, I think yeah. that's fair. Whereas when, when Age of Sigmar 1 came out, we had the Grand Alliance books, which were essentially the index books like you had yeah, in 40k. Exactly. And, and back then, obviously, command points didn't even exist, not even in 40k at that point. So, uh, but I think that was, yeah. So, anyway, so I guess my point is, is like, I do think that they, I think having more generic rulebook stratagems might be, or I don't know what you guys call them, command abilities. Um, I'm just going to call them stratagems would be something that would be great, like something that's universal. So in 40k, there are about five or six stratagems that are available to all armies, regardless of the army. So it's things like um, reroll stratagem. There's things like um, uh, like insane bravery that lets you like automatically pass a morale test. Uh, there's a few others. I'm not sure. Does does AOS have that similar generic strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I want to say there's six, uh, but there's three kind of generic ones in the core rules, and there's three additional match play ones. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess at the end of the day, though, like, I, I, I don't think if we're not seeing it already in the in the books coming out, we're probably not going to see it um, in the new books, I guess. I don't think. No, I think I think that's a fair assessment. I think it'll probably stay pretty stable. Uh, and, I, and I do think that's a big part where like 40K, the armies are built around stratagems, um, whereas in AOS, they feel a little bit more of like uh, and command points, like the ability to dump eight to 12, 10 command points in a single turn. To really just do everything all at once is something that's very 40k. AOS, obviously, given the fact that you get one command point per turn, you don't really have that ability to kind of do these massive, massive, like, kind of shifts, I guess. Um, so, and, and obviously, each book has like three or four pages of stratagems. So it's a huge amount of additional, I guess, tech. Uh, AOS seems to have a little bit more of a limited um, ability to do that. It seems like command abilities on, like, say, characters uh, that get used in the hero phase are much more similar to stratagem kind of like free stratagems essentially yeah yeah i think that's 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 fair and sort of minor heroes have like standard abilities um and your kind of your larger heroes will have or some heroes will have command abilities as well which will cost dp but you can still use much like in 40k some heroes just have generic aura abilities that that you can just activate for free yeah absolutely i think there's less of that in 40k for sure now one of the things that's also been rumored is uh charge reactions and mm-hmm. as a as a Warhammer Fantasy Battle player, uh, this will be something that you're, you're incredibly familiar with. But stand and shoot, stand and shoot exactly, <laughs> or be an elf player and stand and shoot and then run away. Um, I think Elian Reavers had that, Elian Reavers, whatever they're called, and and yeah. things like uh, Glade Riders. But um, I'm probably going to get someone writing in to correct me because I'm, I'm not a fantasy battle player. But uh, yeah, I think that would be cool. I actually didn't know that aos didn't have charge reactions at all uh, yeah. i just assumed that they did so that's that's surprising um the ones in 40k we have uh overwatch which is essentially stand and shoot there's one uh that's more terrain related called um uh what's it called ready, ready uh, defenses ready defenses i believe um i, I the reason i don't remember it is because i never use it like no one ever remembers <laughs> it um and then there's that's it like so uh i think um set the defense sorry it's called set the defense so that's it that's um it. yeah so there's very few charge reactions in 40k. 
Uh, I would love to, like, I know Fantasy used to have a flea charger action, which I thought was a really interesting mechanic. Um, obviously, we don't have fleeing in either games anymore. The idea of, like, units fleeing and rallying and stuff like that just doesn't exist in either game, even though it did. Used to. It's actually kind of weird when you think about it, right? Like, morale is very static now, whereas before it actually caused your units to move. So I always thought that was an interesting kind of uh, shift in, in the systems. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, but AOS, you do your charges at the end of your movement phase, correct? Uh, no, it's in the charge phase. Okay. And when is that? After the shooting phase. Okay. Okay. So I, I, I don't know why, why I'm get, getting it confused. I just so assume that. Hero yeah. phase, movement phase, shooting phase, charge phase, combat phase, battleship phase. Okay. So much like 40k, but except we don't have a psychic phase. Um, we do the magic The magic happens in the, in the, in the command phase, right? It, it, essentially, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I don't see why AOS couldn't have those. I think they're, they're, they add a little bit of flavor. Um, they're not huge in, like, outside of, like, a Overwatch with very specific units, they're just not super impactful, I guess. So I don't think either way it's going to be, like, a big seismic shift in the gameplay. Um, generally, they're, you know, when you're getting charged, that means you've done something wrong. And so we're not going to give you the ability to make it a bad for your opponent. You know, maybe there's a few things that you can do to just help it be less bad. But in general, um, you know, like when you're getting charged, it's your fault and, and take your lumps, you know? It's natural selection. If you if you get yourself in a position where you want to, you can be charged, then uh, then you gotta you got to take the charge. That's right. So we'll see, though. I mean, I don't think a stand and shoot uh, or a like set to defend style reaction would be like, you know, crazy broken. I do know that obviously, again, um, with the stand and sh with like Overwatch, which is essentially stand and shoot in 40k, cost cost command points. You hit on sixes, so it's not super effective. Um, but it can definitely be, you know, and because there's a lot more MSU, um, it can definitely be the difference. Like if I have a two or three man unit and I'm charging a 30 man unit of whatever, that can cause a lot of apprehension. Um, obviously, if you have like you know, 30 goblins and you're charging 30 archers and he hits on sixes and he kills three or four goblins. I mean, who cares, right? Like you're still going to just lump all over up. So yeah, I just, Jim, I'm really sorry. Uh, I just don't know what a goblin is. Is that, is that like grot? Oh, do they not have a gloom spike? Like get, I get, I don't even know you what they're to, called. You that. need to get all your, get all your names, names up. Come on. There's still goblins. <laughs> Absolutely. Night gobos. Love it. Um, so this is something that I am probably most excited about. Uh, what, so for, for, for me, 40k, 40k is my narrative game, right? Yeah. And uh, Age of Sigmar is my, my match play competitive game. Um, I, I certainly don't, <laughs> I certainly don't perform to the same standard in age sigma match plays as you do in 40k match play however for me cruise the crusade system for 40k 9th edition was exactly what i want from 40k age sigma i mean or from 40k no no as in it's it's, it's exactly okay, what i it. wanted for 40k because it's how right. i approach 40k anyway i'm got not it. like a complete narrative you know so steve foot my co-host on ashes of the imperium he is mm -hmm. like an absolute narrative kind of mastermind you know he's just a genius right but for me it's about being able to get a cool bunch of models you know, throw them together in an army list that doesn't take, you know, seven hours, seven hours to like, you know, distill on points and stuff. And and in 40k, for, for listeners who don't play 40k, there are two point systems. There's a essentially a, a what's called power level, and then there's the points. And so in Age right. of Sigmar, you just have a kind of fixed point system um but it's kind of like you can have five for five models for 100 or 10 models for 200 whereas in uh 40k it's kind of like you can have five models for for 100 or or for, you can have another five for another 100 but in the points thing it's like you can have five for 100 and then every 
additional one you can have six or seven for 20 points each right so i don't tend to unless i'm going to a tournament i don't don't worry about points i just play power level and crusade is 25 power level so the equivalent of 500 points right yeah and it is it is perfect it's perfect for exploring those factions like i want to do a minotaur army at the moment and do i want to build 2000 points worth of minotaurs or do i just want to like the answer is yes <laughs> obviously obviously I, do. I, I, I used to have a minotaur army in uh warhammer it was all metal and i think it weighed about 30 pounds i mean um, as in it was all metal as in made of metal or it was all metal as yes. in like uh kind of like metaphorically it was it was Both. really metal. i mean it was, it was it was full, it was a full full pewter uh I think it was something like 30 minotaurs and a doom bowl and it was all metal. It was an old metal uh, oh, minotaur. Jim, you're, so. you're not helping, mate. You're not helping. Yeah, and it was amazing. And also there was like eight beastman chariots thrown in there uh, for fun. So definitely you should do it because it's amazing. And, and I mean, the new miniature models are not my favorite. I actually really like the older ones a little bit better, but... Um, there's something yeah. about having a, a just literally an army that could kill an someone. Of, because... An army of cows, like yeah. I I might do it because I wanna I wanna you know the the, the mega gargan, which is the kind of the night titan yeah. size model. Um, I want a, a gorgon head on that, and then have yeah. like an army of bulgors, so minotaurs uh, and gorgons, and the cygor, which is the kind of cyclops one that throws the rock yeah. at psychers, which is super cool as well. And then yeah, maybe some maybe some chariots or whatever. Um, yeah, it's it's tempting. It's, it's I mean, I have a soft spot for the beastmen. I think that they're they. It seems in just every edition of every game, even as far as back as like fantasy, they just always felt like they didn't belong anywhere. They were always kind of like second. Uh, they were always like an afterthought. Like they were just like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do with the Beastmen? Okay, we'll just throw them in here. So um, I, mean, I am really F liking the FYI, <laughs> they're rubbish in agency more than Yeah, well, that's my <laughs> point is like, I just, it's one of those ranges where it's like the models still hold up. Like the, they the do, Beastmen don't models. They? The, the I'm, I'm not stuff. a huge fan of the the the. I think gores and below. Not a huge fan of the yeah. Of the, but beastigors, yeah, they they hold up. The yeah, Gorgon and Saigor, totally. Right. Uh, the Jabberslith is. I mean, I don't even know what's going on there, but we won't, we won't talk. I don't know if that's part of the army still, but it still is. Um, yeah, it's still yeah. a weird one. And I think the Minotaurs are probably the the worst models in the range, to be honest. Which is may, may, might put a hamper on your your uh, your army. But I guess my point is, is like I I miss the old uh, cult specific Zangors. Uh, well, obviously we have new Zangors but the old corn gores play uh pestigores were amazing i always love those um, i wish they really explored that seeing the new slanagores really made me think like oh man if they could really ex explore that design space that like in in with the beastmen and really kind of grow that but it seems to me that maybe it's it's they're going to be relegated to being these little like kind of cute add-ons and accessories in, in armies like the slangor versus like full a full faction i guess yeah i'm just but anyways don't let me stop you man follow your no, heart follow, follow your dreams Moo. um so yeah so crusade system 25 power level uh it's it's essentially like a start collecting box plus sized army right right and i just think having this 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 thing in age of sigma called path to glory and like it's 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 just like i don't want to say it's rubbish because i'm sure some people enjoy it but like it's it's not for me um yeah and if they essentially rewrote crusade into Age of Sigmar, it would allow me to, because I'm a complete hobby butterfly, it would completely allow me just to do all these like random little armies at 25 power level or 500 points or whatever um, right. without having to build because I, I only tend to play match play events at t I, I basically my, my my Age of Sigmar gaming is, is pretty much all tournament gaming. Yeah. So I only tend to play 2000 points gamings uh, and that's only at, at tournaments but occasionally i'll play like a casual game uh, at home and it's just nice to be able to bring like a casual style list 
when you're playing at home and not have to do a whole 2000 point setup thing you could just run a little 25 power like chill out game with some silly narrative objectives yeah i mean so there's a few thoughts on that like first 40k now has like very distinct like there's combat patrol which is like the 500 point kind of starter size with its own table size there's strike force then there's like yeah, incursion like I, I can't i can't remember them all but the thing that's i think interesting about aos is not only do you have this path to glory in the main age of sigmar but you also have Warcry. uh sorry you also have Warcry, which is um I'm not quite sure what their plans are with Warcry, but it seems to me like it almost wants to be that smaller game format uh, in some sense, or it wishes to be, but it's it seems a little too based around like, because um, I know there's rules for all sorts of factions outside of Chaos. Originally, it was like mostly Chaos, and then they added obviously rules for all the other factions. And then you have Warhammer Underworlds, which I actually think is I'm very jealous of because the models that Warhammer Underworlds feeds into Age of Sigmar are absolutely amazing. And so I wish that we had a 40k Warhammer Underworlds, if if for nothing more, for them just to create cool little kits of like three to seven models that I can incorporate into my current 40k armies. That I think is something that Age of Sigmar has as well. So I'm curious, I guess, what that what they want the Age of Sigmar ecosystem to look like, because in 40k at least, it seems to me that they've kind of designed it in a way where you have kill team which is kind of like the very very starter level that feeds into say something like a combat patrol style game and then that feeds into the larger 40k uh like ecosystem um but for age of sigmar you have Warcry and underworlds which kind of seem like very different none of them really i i don't know if Warcry uses majority like like kill team and 40k uses most 40k mechanics so if you play kill team you can pick up 40k really quickly yeah, obviously it's something Warcry like Warcry is a, is a different game it's yeah a, Warcry. It's, yeah and same for and Underworlds. Underworlds as well. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm curious if they do come out with essentially whatever they're going to call Path to Glory. The new you're, you're version kind of, of gate, your gateway to AOS. That's right. And and something where like if for me, if Warcry uh, and and I know with with 40K, what they, I think Kill Team has actually gone through many different versions of a game that's been called Kill Team, but actually been different games over the years. Like the current Kill Team is not the Kill Team like that they had like six years ago. That Kill Team was like a totally different game, just like... Uh, Maybe like uh, Warcry was a different game, um, and eventually they like re-released it as essentially just small-scale 40k squad-based 40k, like the way that. Uh, so I guess my I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm really curious to see what their vision is for the AOS ecosystem because I would love it if they had something like uh, War uh, sorry Kill Team for Age of Sigmar, where I could just collect one squad of models of like a vampire. Uh, just individual characters or small units and play in a game that's uses a lot of the Age of Sigmar mechanics that would kind of give me a good starting point to get into Age of Sigmar. Um, but that isn't its own whole separate game like Warcry is or like Underworlds is. So um, yeah, so I guess I don't so know. There, I'm going was, to there, there is there is slash was a thing called AOS Skirmish, which right. is essentially that kill team style thing. Um, it just never took off because I AOS mean, is basically skirmish already. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more about, I guess, the scale of the army that you're bringing rather than, yeah. Um, I think that what Crusade represents is is interesting for me because it's it's not just a way to play 25 power games or 500 point games. It's a whole rule system that gets back up. You know, you have Crusade content in codexes. You have dedicated campaign Crusade books. And I think as someone that enjoys playing tournament games, but there is a space for kind of casual AOS in my life, that is really, really cool because that allows me to, as I say, explore those silly little kind of armies that I'm not going to build 2,000 points of. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and our final point, unless you had any additional ones to throw into the ring, 
uh, our final No, I'm one. excited. I'm excited to get going with uh, with Asia Sigma, hopefully. So the app. So yes, the launch was slightly, uh, I guess, rusty. Um, and it was kind of launched in, in a heavily beta state. Uh, however, 40K does have an app and it is a kind of, I mean, is it all singing and all dancing? Do, do, do you use it? Uh, I subbed it. I canceled it. It's still not. So, well, he, here's the thing. Even if the app was perfect and everything was amazing about it, until I can use it on my my PC and with my mouse and keyboard, I'm I don't I don't really want to use it. Like the idea of sitting there on my tiny little cell phone screen and building army lists is zero appeal to me. Now, if 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 there was a version on PC where I could export to my phone, or maybe there's like cloud based where I could like pull up my list that I wrote on my PC, I I'd probably be more um more like inclined to use it. But just the fact like I, I'm not one of those people. That, I don't do cell phone gaming. I'm not one of those people that plays on my phone. So the idea that I have to sit there with my finger on like a tiny screen and build lists quickly using like this, a very like as intuitive as the UI is, it's still not as fast as me, you know, using something like Battlescribe. Uh, I can't, I can't iterate on lists, save lists quickly, switch lists, like all these kinds of things, pull up multiple lists on my screen and do side by sides. It's just there's so many, so much functionality that I can't do on a phone that I, I want when it comes to, especially when I'm building competitive lists and trying to like run through many different um, versions um, that until they do that, I'm not going to be a big advocate of it. So that's just the app itself. Now, as far as the actual model that they've gone with the books going uh, either app or dig- uh, paper, I think personally it is just awful. First of all, um, not everyone wants to carry around. Like, hey, if you don't want to use the app, which I don't, um, I have no option either unless I bring my physical books, which I don't want to do either. So we used to have digital books um, and I can't get those anymore. And that's really that's really frustrating. Second, you can't even buy the physical books these days. Like the people are still waiting on their Drakari books, Dark Angels books because the because of the supply chain issue. So people that actually even want the physical books can't use them. Third, the app, even if the app was like was perfect, that would be one thing. It's not. There's lots of problems. The updates take quite a while. Um, there's just like, sometimes like certain things just don't, aren't available on the app. So even if you're building lists, you can't, you can't like add notes. You can't like edit, like there's just a lot of things that you can't do. So overall, I think the whole direction they've gone in 40 K with the digital is awful. And here's, here's the thing there. And and I would imagine the reason they decided to do this was due to piracy. Um, look, I know, and I've seen, uh, that the people that want to pirate are running around with PDF scans of all the codexes, right? So, because those are available. You can go in all the corners of the internet and you can get a PDF copy of any of the codexes right now of the ninth edition books. So it's it hasn't stopped that problem, right? People that really wanted to pirate those books can still do that. So all it's done is made the user experience for the regular people that don't want to carry around 30 books, that want to be able to use like their tablet to like digitally read the codexes, awful. And on top of that, you've, you've funneled us into this app ecosystem, which is where this app is like not not good it's not working well um there's lots of functionality it's slow to update etc etc so adding all those things combined i just i hate it personally um and and you're amongst and, friends uh, jim yeah don't hold back tell us what you really think but like look here's the thing if they solve those issues if they get it to the point where the armies are updated uh like when the army book is released the app is updated same day where bugs are fixed quickly where i can get a pc version of it on my my computer um i will definitely use it i'd love to be able to use the official games workshop app and have lists in a similar format all those things i like those things there's lots of good things about it but when you add all those kinds of negatives together for me it's very hard for me to like step away from my current list building software um to go into that app ecosystem 
Um, so I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm kind of a wait and see approach, and obviously I really hope that they don't do the same thing to you guys as they did to us, which is force us into this like ecosystem that just it feels like we lost a lot and we have less now than we did. Um, and you know the app is just it's just it's just it, it's it's a I'd say it's a few a year away from being where it needs to be, where I feel good about paying for it. Um, and the other thing too is like I can't I think AOS uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like. Even with the AOS version of the this um, program, you can, you just buy units. You don't have to buy a whole book, right? Like the current psych, uh, the current uh, Warzone book is seventy dollars Canadian. A Codex is sixty dollars, and the only thing I want out of that whole book is a single army list. So for me to have the rules for the uh, the Terminus S rules for Death Guard, I'm paying seventy dollars to use like two pages of that book. Like it's just it's just not it's not something that I want to pay. Like I just uh, you know, and I have I'm sure if anyone that's played this game for more than one edition, you have stacks and stacks of codexes that are out of date. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the rules should be free and the book should be background and maybe like narrative stuff. But like actual unit rules should come with the units and be like digital um, available for anyone. You can go download like data sheets, stuff like that. So anyways, that's my that's my rant. That's your rant and a sizable rant. So James, I'm just gonna kind of come back to you on that. I think um the for me and i know we have different approaches to the game so th this is kind of a, an interesting you know comparison for me the convenience of the uh, 40k app is, is great um yes it's it's clunky and, and yeah it doesn't work on pc and i t totally acknowledge that but being able to and this is something which i think age of sigmar can kind of really really learn from is activating the product on the app because age of sigmar's got an app that that works decently like you know the, i i don't i wouldn't want to see it change too much but right. if if you buy a codex, that's sort of wrong. A battle tome, you physically you still have to buy the kind of the the digital version on the app. Now, what I would like to see for Sigma 3.0 is not a fundamental shift to the app, but activation codes in the back of battle tomes. Now that right. that would be that would be ideal because I, I you're right. I don't I don't want to I don't want to change what the the sort of uh, the um. Age Sigma app offers at the moment, and you know you can unlock right. the kind of premium list builder version. And yeah, there's a kind of free version, uh, a bit a bit like kind of like how you're using Battlescribe. Um, I don't tend to use Azir, which is the Age of Sigma roster builder. Right. I just use uh, uh, War Scroll builder, which is hosted right. again. It's a bit like Battle Roll. You know the the um, power level builder on uh, right. the community. Yeah, there's a there's a there's an Age of Sigma version of that, which is completely yeah. legit. You know, readily updated. So the most important thing that I'm excited about for for the kind of app side of thing is right. di digitally redeeming codes in the back of books yeah and and to your, to quick point to also point out the big difference Ada sigmar uh in 40k every model in my unit can be armed differently and uh i might have 20 units in my army so like the amount of granularity in in 40k means that using an app on the phone is quite it's quite can be quite frustrating Whereas with Age of Sigmar, generally that's not the case. You're just generally selecting units and then putting the number of models. Um, and there's very there's a lot less of that like individual down to the model level of tweaking. And because you're trying to do that on a phone with your finger is like incredibly frustrating. So I do like I think Age of Sigmar lends itself a lot better to that app experience. And I hope you guys do get the codes. Um, I just but the thing is here's the thing. I would love it if the code unlocked a digital version of the book on my phone. But instead, I just get the rules for the phone, sorry, the rules for the um, book, but I don't actually get the book itself, right? So I can't actually read the background on my phone or read the stories or look at the pictures or anything like that. All I can do is add the rules into my builder, right? 
So I would love it if, if at least at the bare minimum, the digital code unlocked essentially a PDF or, or a protected PDF or whatever they do these days. Like, uh, like I can use in my, my Kindle reader or my, like my books app. Right. So I can actually like scroll through the book as if I had the book in my hand at the minimum. That's what I would want, I guess. And I hope you guys don't lose that because, um, yeah, just the digital editions that are enhanced that get updated automatically. They were really nice. And so it sucks to lose those. Yeah, totally. It would be good if we got that. I think that would, that would be really cool. Yeah. And I think updating it is is a really important point. And having so many different, you know, via the app and via PDFs and via, you know, Kindle versions and things like that. I remember I was at a Warhammer World tournament at 40K and the um, Cyclone missile launcher on the top of a Contempt Dreadnought uh, had been added in to the um, Mortis entry on the yep. ipad version it was in nothing else but the ipad version of an imperial armor book now as as you no doubt well know uh kind of rifleman dreadnought or the the mortis pattern dreadnoughts can't take uh cyclone missiles on top of them unless it's a mortis contemptor right right but this this unit entry had been updated incorrectly and just had a cyclone missile so this guy had like three dreadnoughts with cyclones on i was like that's not a thing he was like it's in the app <laughs> i was like yeah but it's obviously a mistake and he was like well, it's in the app. It's an official GW thing. I was like, you maniac. You just, surely you can see that that's not a thing. And he was like, no, no, it's definitely a thing because it's in the app. <laughs> and that's when it's really frustrating because you just, they like, people just want a, a source, a single point of source, a single point of kind of uh, reference, don't they? And a bit yeah. like for what you're saying there is if you buy a physical book, you want to have access to a digital version of that book and you want to be able to have access to the rules on your PC. Um, so I think if we have that, then... I guess the community will be better for it because they'll be able to have have their rules in whichever format they want. Yeah, I just think in in general, Games Workshop needs to make the the rules and the background and the books more accessible than less. And I want to be able to have those on different formats and different mediums and different uh, devices. Um, I still feel like in a lot of ways, Games Workshop is still very young when it comes to their whole digital strategy, whether it's the app, whether it's, you know, they just integrated uh, the web store with Warhammer community, right? Like, that was just a new thing. Um, I, I still have multiple, like, I don't know if it's still the case, but like you still have two different logins for uh, Forge World and the Games Workshop main store, right? So like, I think there's still a little oh, bit of didn't, a... Didn't they, didn't they unify that recently? Like a couple of weeks Well, that's what I'm saying. Like that, like, that's what I'm saying. Like they, it were, it's 2021, man, right? Like they're, they're, <laughs> it seems like, it seems like their whole digital, moving from a traditional paper and pen and book physical medium company to a digital world it's been full of a thousand growing pains and it seems like they're, they're still struggling a lot with what you know what is a great user experience what is a good balance between you know profit and uh, accessibility to their to their products um, and how should they move forward in the future because I do think that you know I, I think they like to make books and sell books but you know we're living in 2021 and most people don't want to carry around um, all these books you know people expect um, digital updates people expect, um, you know, quicker, quicker updates for rules and stuff. And Games Workshop still seems to be a little bit, it's like, it's, it's, it's like as if they are just uh, making books and scanning them and putting them online, the scans online. It's like, that's the equivalent of like what they're doing, right? Like they're not, they're not really taking advantage of the, the fact that they have like, like an online, it's like, like they're not, yeah. It's like printing out an email to read it. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it, it's like they're, they're not taking advantage of the platforms. So of the app ecosystem of the uh, web ecosystem, it's like, they're still learning that this is not a 
a physical medium. It is a, a digital world and that there's so much more, I guess, space for them to do stuff. And there's so much higher expectation when it comes to that, right? Like when it comes to features that guests, that customers expect, uh, the, bar, the bar is very high, right? There's a lot of companies that are doing it a lot better than Games Workshop. And for the amount of money that they make and the size of the company, like, I think a lot of us would just like them to, you know, they're the best miniature man manufacturer in the world. They're not even the top 1,000, like, <laughs> like digital companies in the world when it comes to that stuff like yeah there's definitely definitely some uh some progress to be made let's say absolutely cool well jim thank you ever so much for for joining me and lending your kind of 40k expertise your considerable 40k expertise uh to this little kind of i guess wish listing or guest listing or assessment uh, session that we've had uh most importantly i'm really excited to see what age sigma 3 brings brings to the game um and I, it should hopefully coincide with uh certainly in the uk us getting out and about and, and having a more more normal gaming experience um so jim you you are you're fairly active and, and recently more so on uh, sort of the 40k kind of scene in terms of content production do you want to kind of mm -hmm. give a shout out to the various uh, things that you do out there in the, the internet sure um i'm streaming uh three to four times a week on both twitch and youtube under duplicity paint studio so you can look up duplicity paint on twitch or duplicity paint studio on youtube uh, i have an instagram jimbo v underscore paints uh that's and it's got all the links there and i also do all my work in progress models and other kinds of updates and stuff like that so check out um check me out online um i'm also excited for for age of sigmar i just got my set of the uh vampire dudes i don't know what they're i forget what they're called so the four vampires so i just got a set of that uh it's 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 still in the box because as we were doing the podcast the the guy knocked the door uh and so i i <laughs> i answered the door and i got the dw box in my hand i just haven't opened it but so i'm excited to paint those up and i have my cursed city so sorry for those that don't have it but i'm going to paint up those models as well to kind of match a future vampire counts army and i'm going to continue to call them vampire counts i don't care if they're called grave diggers or something else they're going to be always vampire counts in my heart so <laughs> a stalwart traditionalist we can appreciate that well right. jim uh we'll we'll tag you uh on instagram or twitter when uh when this uh, episode goes out and uh yeah all that remains is, is to say thanks ever so much for joining me and hopefully we can uh get a game in maybe if you come over to the uk or i i head over to uh to canada i have my eyes on some of these larger events that uh that they're throwing in the uk now so i yeah, definitely would like to make get it yourself over to face hammer or blood and glory or something like that it, it would be amazing yeah absolutely uh, and uh and when when we play i, I think we'll uh, let's definitely play age of sigma not 40k I think uh, I fancy my chances <laughs> slightly better. <laughs> for sure, whatever you want. Cheers, Jim. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Priority Roll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve. Or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority World. Well.